So chapter 17, recollection. Um, I have quite a lot that I might say about this, so, so we'll kind of see what's going on. But uh, once again, something that we said earlier in the course, the next three chapters on recollection, detachment, and spiritual reading uh, remind us again of the very important reality of the totality of the human person, and it's the whole of the human person that God wants to have in a relationship. And so that's why living a life of recollection, so being in contact with God throughout the day, is important and will aid us when we come in contact with him in, in, in meditation. That's why detachment, which is the next chapter, is important because if I'm attached to something, then I'm not free to, for Jesus to just be attached to him alone. And spiritual reading is, is the simple idea that if I allow my intellect to be filled with truth and light, things that lead me closer to God and give me information that at least points me in the right direction, um, that that's also going to be helpful because my intellect, my understanding is involved in my relationship with God. So, um, so just a quotation from the book. Many would find meditation less a problem if they were to concentrate on eradicating from their lives those elements which, while seemingly foreign to meditation, hinder in a very positive way the full development of mental prayer. Recollection, attachment, and spiritual reading are three key areas in relation to prayer. And so um, we have on page, let's see here, page 102, just a little quotation, attributed to Blessed Claude de la Colombière. He says, he prays very little who prays only when he is on his knees, right? For the degree of contact with Christ during meditation is proportionate to the amount of contact we maintain with him throughout the day. If one remains close to the Lord during his entire day, through the use of aspirations and short prayers, he will experience little difficulty in continuing this relationship during his meditation. And so the ultimate thing, and this is one of the, the ideas that I would just present to you as men who are aspiring to live consecrated life, is that our constitutions, our rules in a sense, the point of the, our life is really to move you into a position where you're free for God to impact you constantly throughout the day, right? Other people have to go to work, have to deal with things uh, in, in a, a sort of a secular environment that can draw them much more easily away from contact with God. But in a sense, our life is meant to foster this space where you become, and I become, God willing, more and more totally available to God. And so this, this recollection, this contact with God throughout the day, feeds into meditation, and then meditation feeds back into this real staying with the Lord. But in a real sense, like when we talk about this idea of recollection, I mean, ultimately, this is like what this is trying to move you towards is consistent union with God. Right? We talk about, you know, uh, uh, you know, transforming union and stuff like that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this is all we're shooting for, right? It's just that I would be stuck to God all the time. That I would be dependent on God all the time. That's the goal of your life. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you lots of things during the year that I will say that's the goal of your life. But this is the goal of your life. And recollection is, is let me say this. It's our little part that we can help this to be fostered and to happen in our lives. 
a little part. Right? Let me tell you a little story. Um, Father Haggerty, uh, I remember he told us this in a retreat that he gave for us, and I think it's in one of his books. He, he just, he's really taken by this story that, that he heard of a Benedictine monastery. And this abbot took over, and by all accounts, it was, the monastery was not the most prayerful place, and the monks were leading a somewhat mediocre kind of existence as monks. And the abbot, when he became abbot, he said, okay, under obedience, every single one of you has to stop seven times a day for one minute and pray. And the story goes that from this simple obedience, the atmosphere and the, the spiritual lives of the monks was transformed in a matter of years. From this simple stopping for one minute. What's seven minutes in your day? What's seven minutes, right? What's seven minutes in my day? Just not too long ago, somebody was saying to me, a religious, she said, Father, like, I live in the same house as God. And like sometimes I just, I'm just running from one side to the other. And do I even stop and like genuflect and like greet him? And what is that 30 seconds? And I say that brothers, you know, like for myself. But I, I can say that when I make a little space to do that, right? Just like that Father Haggerty story, just like this religious reflecting and feeling convicted in her own life, there's something that happens, right? And it's so easy, even in gray robes, right, surrounded by, in a religious atmosphere, it's still so easy to just kind of forget him, right? St. Teresa, we must cast aside everything else they say in order to approach God inwardly, and we must retire within ourselves even during our ordinary occupations. If I can recall the companionship which, which I have within my soul for as much as a moment, that is a gr of great utility. And I would have to say, this is true. There's some days that just taking a minute to do this has been a total game changer in my whole day, right? And surely that's God's invitation to Francis Mary to like do that more. Hmm, you can pray for me, right? But this idea of, you know, just the, these moments of turning back to him, because what's the reality, brothers, is like he has this anxious waiting look, right? Just like sometimes you may encounter, and I hope you do, he has this anxious waiting in the poor for us, right? That he's there. And in the same way, there's this anxious waiting that the Lord has within our own souls that he would be recognized again, right? That he looks to us and he goes, will you notice me again? Right. And not in an accusatory way, but in a real desire. God's desire for us calls us to take moments to be present to him, to turn back to him. Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, the famous Carmelite cook, 
and Cobbler, right, who wrote, well, he didn't write anything, but he, the practice of the presence of God, he did write some letters and stuff, but it's all compiled his stuff. Right, a genius kind of in this thing. And in the book, the author talks about the most serviceable device for obtaining this goal of staying with God through the day is the utilization of small aspirations and prayers throughout the day. The emphasis here is on short and interspersed. And so in meditation, we use the intellect to sort of contemplate and to consider and to roll things over in our head and to allow God to kind of move us and the will. We make an effective response to him. The basic value of recollection consists not so much in thinking of him, but rather how much we love him. And so there's these different methods, but the real goal is not going to be, again, like seven minutes is not that impressive amount of time. And thinking of him, like we're not going to have these great thoughts necessarily, but it is this redirecting of the will, which super Franciscan and very central is this. If my will is connected to God, that's how you get to union. Clear teaching of John of the Cross and all the great saints. If you, mystical union, union with God, comes through the union of wills, not the union of your intellect with God's intellect. Although your intellect in union, your intellect and then the, your spiritual memory and your spiritual will are all taken by God's. And so he thinks his thoughts in you, right? He, he allows his memories to play out in you but it happens through the union of wills. And so recollection really focuses on allowing my will to be drawn or, or sort of using my, my, the choice of my will in these small aspirations, these small returnings to him to be more and more united to him throughout the day. And today, I mean, we celebrate the triumph of the cross today and crosses in our lives are just these moments, right, that come throughout, of our, throughout our day and how do we respond to the cross so often? We get angry <laughs> and we, we get upset that my will isn't being done. But the invitation with the cross every time is to turn back to him, to turn back to him, to turn back to him. It's a little far afield, but okay. Three methods that are talked about here. Um, external visible signs is on page 104. So external visible signs, what would be, this is very simple, but what would be an example of the use of an external visible sign to aid you in recollection? A crucifix, right? So Opus Dei, right? So Opus Dei members, as I understand, I've never been one, but that they put a crucifix on their desk as they're working, right? And that's something that I've often done myself. Sometimes it helps me, sometimes not as much. I often will have an image of Our Lady floating someplace around in the middle of meetings or stuff like that. Sometimes, although I forgot today, irony of ironies, I keep an image of the Divine Mercy and I'll often put it up there as I teach you class. And so these, and, and what is it? It's just something that again, it, it just sparks something and allows us to turn our will back to him even just for a moment. So there's external things that we can use to aid us in this turning our wills back to God, be, being aware of his look upon us. Then there's imaginative. Now, what would, be, what would sort of be an example of that? It's obviously different than external. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, that's exactly right. It's the use of the imagination in some way to sort of picture him. In, in, so, for instance, in the, in the sense of recollection, like if I just briefly imagine Jesus sitting in the chair in class with you guys looking at me. That can be helpful. And for some people, it's very, very helpful. And then the, the third method that they, they speak about May be it may seem somewhat like the imagination, but so the third the third method is an intellectual, right method, and what would that be? Like, what's the difference there between imagination and sort of the intellectual method? Mm -hmm. I think I think like the imaginative method is more yeah like a picturing Christ sharing in. Picturing him in a very visceral way, doing the thing you're doing, or in the place you are, mm -hmm. it's just an intellectual awareness of his presence, not necessarily that he's doing the thing. Or yep, that he's that's good. Yeah. yeah, I like that. A visceral, so the imagination is sort of like really concretely imagining Jesus present to you or with you or something like that in a place, while the intellectual is, yeah, I think well, well said. It's it's. What is it? It's a consideration of truth. It's coming in contact with truth through the intellect, but not necessarily imagining Jesus. But so like one of the, tr one of the things that I find often draws my heart back to him is just this consideration. He looks upon me. Just that God is gazing on me right now. I don't imagine his face, right? But that truth, for some reason, draws my heart even in the middle of class, in the middle of mass, whatever. I'll tell you a little secret. So now everybody will know, but <laughs> where I just was in the, in the Missionaries of Charity uh, Contemplatives, they had this, this, this representation, obviously, of Rublev's icon of the Trinity, right? Like this big, but it was just off to the side in the chapel that they have. I said, sister, you know, if you move that like four feet to the right, then I could look at it when I celebrate Mass, you know? And so they did. And uh, <laughs> I hope it helps other priests too. But just to, to sort of look at that today, so again, that was what, you know, so, so of the, the, the three, it's, it's like an external sign. But to celebrate Mass sort of with that icon in front of me, it was far away, but still there, it just brought all of this like reality of God and the reality of the sacrifice of the mass present because so much of that, I mean, in any case, I'm not going to get into Rubelov's Trinity, but to, to consider these things and to allow that, you know, to, again, this intellectual consideration, he looks upon me or just the truth, like God lives in my soul. Like I'm not imagining Jesus, the father and the Holy Spirit, like running around inside of me, right? That's not helpful at all. But simply the consideration like, you live in me. And to sit with that for 10 seconds, right? So that would be an intellectual, right? The intellectual form of a method of, of this coming back to God. So 
the thing that they, they, they talk about on top of these things is, is again, these, these sort of, these, uh, well, let's just quote, uh, what do we have here? Francis de Sales, where? Recollection, dum -da -dum. Mm -hmm. oh, this is Alphonsus, on page 105. The first method consists in frequently raising the heart to God by short but fervent ejaculations or loving affections towards God present within us. These may be practiced in all places and at all times, in walking, at work, at meals, at recreation. These affections may be acts of election, of desire, of resignation, of oblation, of love, renunciation, thanksgiving, petition, of humiliation, of confidence, and the like. Whatever occupation you find yourself, you can easily turn to God from time to time. Beautiful, very true. And so this idea that the book kind of highlights of the use of ejaculations because of the use of that word in English, I usually use the word aspiration just because if you're talking to a bunch of people and you talk about that, it's not going to be helpful for somebody. Um, but... It's a, very, it's a very simple way to do it. Now, um, the idea of frequent aspirations, short but ardent motions of the heart, right? So again, this is the will, short prayers. And just to, off, just to share like a few things that I, I would say about it. So one... I find more and more that saying it out loud can often be helpful. Now, you have to be a little bit careful where you're doing that, right? Um, because it can be, you, people will think you're, probably think, people probably think you're crazy already. But in any case, I often find moving the lips, even if you're practically saying it silently, as, as a powerful, like, it, for, for myself at least, I find it more engaging. One thought. Two, it can be helpful to have your favorite sort of aspirations that you go back to, but also, I would just encourage you to allow the Lord to also lead you in things. And I often find throughout my day that different ones are helpful at different times. And... Um, you know, so obviously the Jesus prayer is almost like a special category. I'll say something about that in a second. Um, I, I don't consider myself at all an expert on the Jesus prayer, but I have read something and certainly used it myself. But while the, it can be helpful to just have one set formula, there can also be s some real help in just a certain amount of flexibility and openness to how the Lord leads us in these things. It's just something that I would offer to you. So one of the ones that especially, like, you know, when I'm, like, moving from one thing to another, like, I've got five minutes and class is happening, and then somebody asks me a question, and there's this, and the phone rings, and I'm, so I walk, and I'm just, like, I'm just praying, Father, you got this one. For some reason, that aspiration, like, just totally helps me out. Father, you got this one. I, I mean, my day looks like a disaster to me. I don't think there's any possible way that all this stuff can happen. And so that prayer of trust just to the Father is extremely helpful for me at certain times. At other times, I just find myself just very spontaneously, um, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't even know where that one came from, except somebody was used it 
somebody who I directed on a retreat mentioned it to me, and ever since then, it's just sort of popped into my heart sometimes. And I'm like, oh, okay, right? Jesus, Mary, I love you, save souls. That's another one that comes up regularly, that I would use regularly. Um, but a lot of times, just the names of Jesus or Mary, very powerful, very helpful. And so, again, I would just encourage you to see how you're sort of led in praying with these things. Um, and to be careful, to be careful not to just get locked into something and not allow the Holy Spirit to shift it around a little bit if it's helpful to you. Now, let's see here. What do I have? I just like a couple of notes from here. I, I was actually looking. I had, I had some other, uh, this is the Jesus Prayer. This is a book by Father Wilfred Stenison on the Jesus Prayer. Um, I know, I know, I know. What do you have in your office, Father Francis Mary? Who knows? Um, and so he simply points out in a couple places, and there was some place that I read something even more than this. The invocation of the name of Jesus, this is actually an Orthodox writer. The invocation of the name of Jesus may be simply an episode on our spiritual way. An episode is etymologically something that happens on the way. Or it may be for us a way, one spiritual way among others. Or it may be the way, the spiritual way, which we def definitely and predominantly, if not exclusively, choose. And I find that to be very helpful. Because you have like the example of the Russian pilgrim and everybody gets excited when they read that book. I actually felt a little bit depressed when I read the book. But in any case, that's, that's my melancholic thing going on. And so everybody feels like, oh my gosh, like this is it. I got to do this and this is going to be the rest of my life. And this Russian author, and I just really like the balance and some, some other contemporary Orthodox authors would say the same thing, that it's going to have a different place in different people's lives, right? And it may be something that somebody uses sporadically, and that's been a little bit more in my experience. Um, or it may be something that somebody uses at certain times in prayer, or it may be the only way somebody prays, right? But that certain, like the Jesus prayer in this whole tradition, can have some places, and I would say in the Latin church, right? So, uh, in the West, we have... This, this really, this gift of having this Eastern, this Byzantine influence come in and enrich some of our spirituality. But at the same time, we need to recognize that not everybody's going to be led that way, you know? And so we need to really be, be attentive to how is the Holy Spirit leading us? How are we being formed in prayer? Um, and this is just one more. So Father Wilfred Stenison was... Uh, having a conversation, oh, I think this must have been re really pretty awesome, with, it, with Archmandrite Safrani, who was the disciple of a canonized Russian Orthodox saint. But so in any case, this guy's like a big name in the whole, you know, the little bit that I know. So, when I asked him if it was desirable to follow the example of the Russian pilgrim and constantly repeat the Jesus prayer, he replied that this prayer, on the contrary, should be seen as a point of departure, a springboard into tranquility. He thought that it sometimes was enough to utter the Jesus prayer one time in order to rest in the prayer later. When distracting thoughts arise, one takes refuge again in the words of the prayer. The monk from the Eastern Church who wrote the first part of this book writes, the name pronounced may be extended and prolonged in seconds or minutes of silent rest and attention. 
And so just to say, with something like the Jesus Prayer, what's being suggested here, even by Russian Orthodox authors, is just that the prayer itself isn't the end, but God is. And so when one finds himself with him, one can let go. Now this is going a little bit far afield from the, the whole idea of recollection, but I offer it to you because there may be things that you guys have been exposed to and you found really helpful in that tradition that can lend itself both to be used in a more formal time of prayer, but also within recollection to help us to sort of stay in this place. Um, but we need, to, we need to, to use it in the way that God is leading us to with the help of a spiritual director. And a couple last notes, and then I'll, I'll just open it up to see if you guys have any questions. St. Augustine, in his letter to Proba, which we'll look at again later, one of the things that he presents which is a strong, beautiful tradition in the West, is this idea that one is called to pray by the desires of the heart, and that this in and of itself, the heart's desiring God, is itself a way of praying constantly, right? So none of us in this room may ever find ourselves praying whatever Father William Doyle did, 100,000 aspirations a day or whatever was in the, was in the book. But Augustine wants to say, as long as your will desires God, right? Augustine, this man who was, his life was so given in a pastoral sphere. Um, as long as your heart desires God, this also is a way of praying constantly, and it will draw you back into recollection. So we'll do an entire class on it later, but the, the formation of desire and the turning, allowing God to turn and draw the will is one of the ways that he wants us to really move into this prayer, constant prayer. And, and the little aspiration should help us, but desire of the heart should also be a huge part of how we remain more and more recollected and with God throughout the day. One. Um, one of the, the things that I think is noted in the book and is a good rule to follow unless you have some clear direction otherwise from your spiritual director is that it should be free from stress, right? And this is where the Jesus prayer and people trying to link the Jesus prayer with their breathing and things like that, I think this is where some, some authors get concerned, is not so much that bre the breath can't be used in some way to help us to pray, but if somebody's becoming too rigid with it, or if somebody's getting stressed out, that's not good, right? And you're not Russian Orthodox novices. You're Franciscan friars of the renewal. So apparently Russian Orthodox, like sometimes, like you're the novice, you gotta pray like a thousand Jesus prayers in the day before you eat lunch or something like that. But we don't do that here, right? So you should, it's really important to allow God to lead you, but that it, there's a certain gentleness in the way that you, you're entering. It doesn't mean that you can't make a real effort right? To return to a prayer, to return to re recognize Jesus, to speak to him, but be careful about stress and pressure. And one last, it's a bit of a long quotation, but I just really liked it. So one last quotation, a word from blessed Columba Marmion, 
writing to a religious sister. This is what often hinders souls of goodwill from making progress in prayer. And it is your case, my child. Hmm. In the morning, they make their prayer well. They receive our Lord in Holy Communion and are very united to him. I'm like, okay, yep, so far. That sounds like me, okay. Then they leave the choir. They go to breakfast. They take up their work. They cast a little glance here. They say a word there, and they lose their recollection. And thus, during the whole day, they advance and they fall back. You must accustom yourself to make a little sanctuary in your heart, where you will always find our Lord, even in the midst of occupations and distractions. And then, as soon as you are alone, as soon as you have a few minutes, a fire shall flame out. Try to gain mastery over your thoughts, because if one lets oneself go in one's imagination, it is impossible to arrive at contemplation. Our head is like a little mill, which turns round all that is put into it. Hmm. That is why it is very important each time one has a few minutes in the day not to let one's mind wander, but to direct it towards God. Without that, neither recollection nor prayer is possible. Try also, now this is quite the thing, try also not to think of your occupations outside of the time you should give to them. We must take the upper hand with our occupations and not let ourselves be absorbed by them. Now this occupation that you like still dominates you too much and hence prevents you from living united with our Lord. Now, someone who obviously, like this sister, lives in a cloistered community is going to have a different experience of life. But nevertheless, Blessed Columbia Marmion offers some, some, just some clear guidelines. Like, okay, and I think this is really true, brothers. Like, to see our work in God's perspective. It's so easy for our work or the tasks that we want to do to become so important because it's about us. But how does God see the task? And do I include him? Am I rec recognizing him in the midst of what I do? Right? And you too have a few minutes as you go through your day. Right? I, I you know, like... You go to the bathroom, you go into your cell, you, you, know, you do a few things, you walk down the hallway. And of course, we're going to talk to each other, we're going to be fraternal, we're going to... But you, you want to talk to your brother, you want to make eye contact, and we should, but the Lord wants that too, right? And so, just the invitation is, in a sense, like, to make just a little bit more space to return to him throughout the day. You're not going to pray the Jesus prayer all the way through class and stuff like that. That would be super distracting for me, at least. I mean, maybe you can, but most people cannot, right? You're probably not going to be Padre Pio tomorrow. Presumably, that guy had the prayer of the heart with the rosary, right? Where the rosary was just praying in him as he was reading people's souls. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen to you tomorrow, right? But we do our little bit, and someday God lifts us up. But for the time being, this is a, a beautiful way that we can just show to him our desire and our fidelity to try to be with him more, which is what he's called you to. So, that's that. Questions? Comments? Sneezes? No? God bless you. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes for me, like, especially when we're working together, I'll like, go into situations where like, I want to remember Jesus. And then, I mean, it just might be like a practice, like a maturity, but like, like, okay, so this person is 
performing Jesus as this person, it just becomes heady, like yep. intellectual, and then stressful. And so I, I just kind of like eventually, usually, I'm just like, you know what, this is annoying. I'm just gonna try and love this person, and then like later, like yeah, that was Jesus. Like you know. Right, I do. Yeah. Yep, so I think particularly with, with, you know, sort of that contact with Christ and the poor, the reality is, is we may not always experience it. Another reality is, is, is thinking about it is not necessarily helpful at that time. I would agree with you, right? It, it might be, but the thing that I would suggest is the following. One, before, really ask him, like, Jesus let me love you in this person. Just ask for the grace, right? Let me love you in these people. Whoever I meet today, let me, let me just be present and to love you. Loving is the more important part of it, right? Not, not some sort of, sort of intellectual kind of moving things around. And the reality is, is that he's there, just like he's with us in a mysterious way. And so I would say the the being attentive to really encountering the person is the most important thing. Asking the Lord for assistance in that is good. And then the, the, the last thing I would say is, um, is to really be open to the way that the Lord leads you to encounter him in the poor and in your brother, right? And, and I certainly don't have the perfect, uh, the perfect thing, but I would agree with you that sort of trying to do some sort of a mind thing is not helpful. I absolutely agree with that. And I guess the, the sort of the, I think there's different ways depending on how, like some people who have like a charism of mercy, a charism of hospitality, I think they're gonna encounter the experience in a very different way than me, right? Who has like negative on both of those charisms, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm like, Oh, what a poor Franciscan I am. But in any case, right? But there is, there, there's a way that everybody is invited to enter into this encounter and this service and this love of God there. And so I guess that's the only thing that I would say is, I think you're absolutely right on the right track. Like, love of the person is foremost. Asking for the grace beforehand is good. And then see how the Lord leads you in it. Yeah, that's what I would say. Does that... Good. Anything else? Great.